This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. Well, you're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast with me, Johnny Hart. Each week, we preview and review all the big business and market stories with Oanda Senior Market Analyst, Craig Earlham. So we're approaching a big weekend for a large part of the UK with pubs and restaurants opening up after what seems like forever. It is a big moment for UK PLC, is it not? Yeah, it's very telling um, my personal situation, the fact that I'm looking forward to getting to the hairdressers for 8am more so than getting to the pub. But yeah, there's going to be a lot of excited people out there, I think. I mean, I think I was in actually in the pub one of the last nights that they were open and I don't think anyone really thought it was going to last this long. We thought there was going to be a lockdown and we thought it would be a few weeks, but I don't think anyone anticipated quite what was going to follow. It's easy to look back in hindsight now and um, uh, and have 2020 vision, but it, it, it's also easy to forget just what people's perceptions were of the situation leading up to the lockdown actually being imposed. So there's going to be a lot of relieved business owners right now who have seen their businesses devastated by this coronavirus and who are now going to be a reopening. But the question is, how nervous are they going to be? I think there's going to be a lot of excited people who are going to want to see friends again, who want to be outside of their homes and not necessarily in a park, but maybe a beer garden or or something like that. And I think there's going to be a lot of excitement. It's already being termed in the media Super Saturday. And it's that for a reason. We Brits do have a certain reputation and I think we're going to see that put to the test tomorrow. The question's going to be, what is the setback going to be? And is there going to be a setback? We're all going to be crossing our fingers and hoping that everyone is sensible and that even with the beers flowing, that there's the sense heads are going to remain and this isn't going to come at a major cost that potentially forces uh, any reversals uh, and doesn't lead to a large spike but the problem is what we've seen in the examples in the US for example is that it does follow a large spike and we're seeing states there having to halt or reimpose restrictions as a result of that so hopefully we won't see that and we can all just enjoy the next few weeks uh, but I, I, I do worry that people may get a little bit overexcited because it's been so long. If you were to say to everybody at the beginning of this, so it's going to only get about three months, you know, 14 weeks, they'd go, no way could I last that long. But it's amazing how resilient people actually are when they really have to do the right thing. And uh, certainly the vast majority of people in this country have done the right thing. And let's hope there aren't any significant spikes in the weeks to come. Earlier in the week, Craig, We heard from the Bank of England's chief economist, Andy Haldane, who these days seems to be a bit of a maverick, doesn't he? He predicted a V-shaped recovery rather than, say, a U-shaped recovery. Did you go along with uh, his comments? No, I mean, I've never really been a believer in a V-shaped recovery. Um, I thought it was a bit of a stretch to begin with. I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I'm disputing this with a guy who's far more experienced and has access to far more um, thorough research than I do uh, and is far better positioned to make this judgment. What's interesting is the judgment doesn't really seem to fall in line with what the rest of the MPC seem to view and what the Bank of England's official position seems to be. I think I'm, I'm falling somewhere between the U and the V-shaped recovery. I heard it termed kind of like a Nike swoosh uh, the other day and I think that's probably more where I land I think it's going to take a little bit of time kind of like a U-shaped recovery but I think it will then not I don't think it's going to take quite as long as people think before we start to see the uptick but ultimately the high, the high numbers of unemployment is going to come at a cost and that's that's my biggest um, my biggest issue with the uh, the V-shaped recovery enthusiasts is that they don't seem to be taken into consideration that there's going to be a large number of unemployed that are going to 
come out of this crisis. And until they find employment, then any V-shaped recovery is going to be extremely difficult to come by. Uh, hopefully I'm proven wrong, but um, I, I feel like I'm with the rest of the policy committee on this one. And in many ways, like many other situations, I may be on the, the different side of the argument, but hoping I'm on the wrong side. We have sadly seen the beginning of a major jobs uh, hemorrhage throughout the week. All sorts of uh, companies from all sorts of different sectors, particularly travel and now, of course, hospitality, losing people. Thursday, I think it was, Café Rouge announced closure of all of its restaurants. And we've seen some major announcements earlier on in the week. Airbus, I think, was one of them. Should we perhaps look across the Atlantic for a bit of optimism, though? The US economy created jobs at a record pace in June as firms took on more staff after the downturn. I know the Fed is particularly cautious at the moment, but it, perhaps there's some positivity there. It's really hard to compare ourselves with the US though because the US unemployment numbers also spiked far higher than ours did because of the way that the kind of furloughed workers are counted. Um, in the US they count towards the unemployment rate which is why we did see it spike which is why we did see millions and millions of people become unemployed even though that was never permanent and even though they were going to return to their companies uh, they, they counted as unemployed for that period. That same thing didn't happen here in the UK. So what we're actually seeing here is the people in the US returning to work quicker than people maybe, maybe expected. I don't don't think we're going to know the full implications of this covid lockdown on to, uh, for a few months yet and then we'll start to see how permanent a lot of these unemployment numbers are going to become and that's when the true cost of this is going to become quite evident. The issue that we have is, as you've already alluded to with the companies that you've named there, there's really obvious sectors that are going to be devastated by this in which the, these layoffs are going to become permanent. Um, you've noted, you've obviously, Airbus, etc., where the, the travel industry has said it's going to take years to recover. The hospitality industry is going to be saying the same thing, although we may get a better idea of that after this weekend. Um but then even areas that we don't necessarily think about, there's an entire industry which has been created to exist around the office, uh, whether that's where you get your lunch, where you get your coffee, anything like that. That's an area that's going to come under some severe stress now because if people are even working at home a little bit more, if people are choosing to work at home on average one day a week, what kind of an impact is that going to have on the bottom line? And what does that impact does that have on a business's ability to go from profitable to unprofitable, from sustainable to unsustainable? And that's just one area. There's many, many other areas is um, around this entire thing where the where, where companies are going to put be put under extreme stress and that's going to become quite clear over the next few months as the furlough scheme um, is pared back and then ultimately wrapped up there's also going to be opportunity the the question is how quickly a company is going to adapt to that opportunity and how many jobs can be saved in the process we hope that we are going to see a faster recovery uh, and we hope that um, things are going to improve much better than we expect uh, but there are going to be setbacks and um, I, I feel like there's going to have to be a, a rapid evolution in the, in many businesses' models um, if they are going to survive this. And I think for many of them, it is just a case of survival at this moment. Profitability can come further down the line. They need to survive it at this point in time. Businesses, by their very nature, are adaptable. They do adapt quickly and it's something that they are very good at. But there's a lot of businesses which will just struggle to do so. And that's where we could see um, large numbers of people becoming unemployed. And as always with these things, it's ne it's, it typically tends to be the people who are least uh, able um, to um, to become unemployed, who who at least maybe financially stable, uh, that, that that tend to get hit with this, and again, that the, the, there are going to be consequences when it comes with that as well. So, again, 
there's going to be a lot of data over the next few months which are going to make these this a lot clearer than it is now and than it has been for many many months and i think we're all just crossing our fingers that it's not going to be as bad as we fear and you mentioned the unforeseen consequences of, of what is happening and the fact that people aren't going to offices as much anymore and that can have a big effect on several industries but what you wouldn't necessarily think about is companies like tm lewin they make shirts and ties and sell suits and of course they went into administration this week because nobody's going to an office anymore in fact they're not even going to weddings they are one of the casualties that wouldn't necessarily spring to mind immediately exactly and there's going to be many more cases just like that and again like i said earlier there is going to be opportunity that comes from this um there's entire industries which have been set up to um to prosper from people being in the office and being in that condensed area does this mean that there's now opportunities for people who work from home to create a similar kind of um business model around where people live rather than around where people go to work that can prosper i know many shops that remained open near where i am have done very well over the course of the last few months because people have been staying at home rather than going to work so it's about adapting businesses models and people taking advantage of opportunities as well as people unfortunately suffering uh, the downsides to all of this it's like say it's 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 a very unfortunate situation so i don't like to necessarily talk about opportunity but i think there's going to be huge opportunities as well over the course of the next 12 months for businesses across a variety of sectors so it could be um, quite an interesting time as far as the evolution of what we are doing is concerned i've said many times before i don't feel like this has necessarily changed an enormous amount i just feel like it's accelerated trends that we're already beginning i guess we'll we'll see just how true that is over the course of the next 12 to 18 months Okay, let's talk about Hong Kong and these uh, new laws and regulations that have come from China and the threat they pose to democracy in Hong Kong. And uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson has made an offer of citizenship to, I think, something like three million Hong Kongese which is quite a bold move. The Chinese didn't like it. Yeah, that doesn't come as a huge surprise when you see how the Chinese leadership has responded to other uh, comments in the past that has primarily come from the US at that point, but other countries have been voicing their concerns, particularly around this particular issue. And the Chinese leadership has never responded particularly well to this, not viewing this as anyone else's business. But unfortunately, in this case, it very much is the UK UK's business because uh, of the treaty that was signed when Hong Kong was passed over. So um, I think this is where you, there is going to be many threats made, but whether there's an enormous amount of follow through, I think it's an entirely different thing. It's all well and good uh, China taking on the US, but I think there's a lot of com- a lot of countries around the world at this point in time that are firmly on the side of the US, the UK, Australia, and many others um, at this point over this issue with Hong Kong. And as long as they stand side by side, I think we may see a lot of threats and um, uh, and very little action. And I think China, in many ways, may just want this problem to go away. They've got what they wanted by imposing this law. They may just then want this to kind of uh, pass by. Who knows? We we know it's these are always very difficult situations, and this is far more of a political issue than it is a market and an economic one. Um, so I'm probably not the best qualified to speak about it from that perspective. But uh, from a market's perspective, I don't think it's having a gr- too great an impact at the moment. And perhaps that is because there's many people who view this currently as I do. But this is obviously some a situation that could change quite dramatically as the days, the weeks, months go by. And this audacious offer from Boris Johnson, when you're talking about Hong Kong people there uh, amongst the most talented and highest qualified that you could possibly find, and they'd actually be a, a major boom to this country. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, Hong Kong is a major financial center. So when you're looking, when you are the UK and you have a mate, you have one of the other major financial centers in the world, for example, um, uh, then there is going to be naturally a lot of uh, a lot of desirable skills. But I don't think that's why they're doing it. I think they are doing it because it's it's um, it, it is a situation in which the UK feels like there's very little else they can do apart from offer citizenship whether people will actually take the UK or Australia or anyone else upon their offers an entirely different thing. I think this is just a, a battle that's going to go on for, for, for a lot longer yet in that territory. And I think many countries around the world will make gestures like this and will voice their opposition. But it's difficult to see what power they really do have without embarking on a kind of... Tr- trade war type situation like the US embarked on previously. Again, there's people far more qualified to say what the possible responses could be. Uh, but it, it does feel to me like this is a very uncomfortable situation for many people that they just wish would pass them by. OK, let's uh, conclude with your favourite subject, Craig, Brexit. The, the talk seems to have broken down, but I, I'm really struggling to get too into the kind of nitty gritty of these talks. It does always feel like there is just an enormous amount of brinkmanship that happens during these negotiations at these kind of pivotal points. I don't think either side is ready to walk away from this yet. I don't think either side benefits generally from this. There is the argument that I've heard that if the UK left with a hard Brexit uh, or no deal Brexit at the end of this year, then the the whole uh, pandemic will kind of muddy the waters in terms of trying to determine what the actual economic implications going to be. I think that's a very cynical view, um, but I mean that's not to say that it's not entirely um, plausible. Uh, but I, I think this is a situation in which both sides desperately want to avoid a no deal Brexit at this time. I think their countries, their citizens um, and their businesses are going to come in for a lot of hardship as a result of the pandemic. The last thing they need is an unnecessary unnecessary blow of a no deal Brexit. And for that reason, I've said this before and I've been wrong before. I feel like common sense has to prevail. I've been wrong on that before, but uh, I feel like I'll be right this time. But who knows? I think people are wrong a whole lot more than they're right when it comes to an issue like Brexit. Okay, before we let you go, what should we look out for in the next seven days? So, I mean, I I think we are going to see a lot of the same that we continue to see right now, which is the economic reopening versus kind of the the re-imposition of restrictions, what that means for the economy, etc. I think that's going to continue to be a big thing for the markets and the thing that kind of that provides confidence but then holds it back is when we see these spike in new cases like we've seen in the US. And I think it's going to be a continuing theme there until things start to dramatically improve. We had a lot of economic data this week, so next week it's a lot lighter on that front. Um, the only central bank meeting that I can see uh, the, the, the major, of the major central banks is the, the Reserve Bank of Australia, and they're expected to leave interest rates uh, unchanged at record lows of 0.25%. Um, but apart from that, it's mainly low-level data that we have next week. So maybe a bit of a quiet week on that front, but I think there's going to be a lot more excitement about the uh, the, the kind of vaccines that, that seem to be coming to the fore now that going into late stage testing, uh, which like my colleague in, 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 in Jakarta, he seems pretty optimistic that we could potentially be looking at a vaccine that's ready for distribution by the end of this year. That would be far earlier than, um, 
than what people are anticipating. And if that turns out to be true, that'd be a massive, uh, a massive win uh, as far as many people are concerned because there's naturally people, many people and, well, pretty much everyone at this point who believes that a vaccine is necessary to get these economies booming again. So I imagine we're going to hear a lot more talk around these types of things over the course of the next week. But as a, from a purely economic date of an event standpoint, it is a little bit light on the calendar. As a matter of interest, I'd be interested to know which um, vaccine group does your colleague think is going to provide the winning formula? Well, let's get him on next week, and I'm sure he'll uh, be able to provide lots of details. He's um, he's he's following the situation extremely closely. Interesting, as, uh, as are we all. But uh, this seems to be an area of particular interest for him. So, yeah, um, uh, I know the money's yeah. been on the Oxford group, hasn't it? And via AstraZeneca, I think it is in in the UK. But there are, I think, dozens. Uh, at the moment going on so uh, there are dozens but that's what that's one in particular that uh, he has been talking a lot about and i think they said that it's the fact that there are so many and just by purely by the power of numbers the more that you have the more chance that you have that one of them will be a success yes so and i think that's going to increase the optimism that we could potentially see someone earlier than we thought well if they did find a vaccine for this it would change everything overnight we pray for that every single day do we not we do (laughs) okay craig earlham thanks very much for joining us today Thank you. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.